you're like so gay. Hi, sexual deviants. <laughs> sexual deviant wannabes, what's going on? How are we this wonderful week of September? <laughs> uh, I would say good, except I'm a dumbass. And I'm staying Why? at Dave's for the week. And I obviously like brought all my school stuff with me. And I fully just left my computer charger in New York. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. I'm back to taking handwritten notes, essentially. Like, is your laptop just, like, dead for the week? Well, David, the whole, like, half the reason I'm here is because Dave just got a puppy. His name is Hoagie. He's very cute. And Dave has to go home for a couple days for work, so I came down to stay with Hoagie. So when Dave goes home, he's just going to grab my computer charger, and then he'll be back on, like, Wednesday. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like the end of the world, but it's just, it's a minor inconvenience. Yeah. And I feel like I'm living in the 1950s taking handwritten notes, even though I took handwritten notes all of last school year. <laughs> another day, another dumbass. Literally. What's going on with you? Back to work. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> back in the office, back on the grind. I'm currently surrounded by thousands of PPE. Honestly, that must feel great. You must feel very safe and protected. Yeah. No, life is fine. It's just super busy and hectic and, like, lots of time at the office now on top of all the projects and... Yeah. Also, like, COVID brain is so real. I just feel like my brain has turned into mush, so... So does that mean there's two dumbasses running this podcast this week? Haven't there always been two dumbasses running the podcast? Are you saying you're smart? You just said that. I can't believe you say that when you feel like this. <laughs> <laughs> so exhibit A and exhibit B for COVID brain being a real thing. Um. <laughs> okay, well, reminder that I actually have COVID brain because I actually had COVID. Allegedly. You never told me that. <laughs> We're not doing this again. <laughs> I'm hanging up. I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> Matt, have you eaten any good food lately? <laughs> I'm going to kill you. That was a good segue. Uh, Come on. Was it? No. (laughs) I finally, since going back to New York, had like real good New York pizza. And I'm so happy about it. It was so fucking good. I, the things I would do for a New York bagel right now. Oh, yeah. I actually haven't had one since I've been back. But yeah, I might have to do that when I go home. But oh my God, speaking of pizza, that reminds me. (laughs) (laughs) What? Did you expect that? <laughs> did you expect our transitions to go more smoothly than that? I did. I thought we were better than that. <laughs> COVID brain. <laughs> Matt, remember when we were both in Italy? Ugh, I do. It was so fun. It was Take really, me back. It was really fun. Did we even talk about that on our podcast? I don't think we did. I don't think we have. I mean, I think we've mentioned that we've both spent time in Europe, but I don't think we mentioned when we when we hung out for a week straight because yeah. you got hit by a car <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for everyone listening i got hit by a bus when i was living in rome it was a car no it was a bus you can call me regina george <laughs> um aaron didn't actually get hit by a bus but as far as the r- people who run this one hostel in naples are concerned he did 
Yeah, so basically, back in <laughs> September 2018, I was living in Rome, and Matthew here was like, I'm coming to Italy, and of all the wonderful places in Italy that I could go, I'm gonna go to Naples. <laughs> okay, so Naples is probably my favorite city in the world. It's okay because that is an opinion statement. Yep. And you can fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I do think Naples has probably the best pizza I've ever had in my entire life. Anyway. Anyways. I was, <laughs> I was going on a big Euro trip. I saved up a bunch of money and went on a Euro trip. And to help elongate it, I was doing this thing called Work Away. I definitely recommend it, just maybe not in Naples, um, where... <laughs> <laughs> I was working at a hostel. I would work like five days a week and then get two days off and I would eat and live for free. And it was a really cool way to travel around and spend a bunch of time in another country. But I was at this hostel and I'd read like good reviews about like working there. And it was like (laughs) one of the worst experiences of my whole life. And that just goes to show how amazing Naples is that that experience didn't taint my love for the city. Wow. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I was wow. like a week and a, I was like a week and a half in, I think, and I had like gone away for the weekend. <laughs> I like got back and like Loki had a mental breakdown when I got back because I was like I am not the airport. The hostel was like right next to the airport, so I like barely was sleeping because the jets were just taking off all the time there were so many mosquitoes there was a i found a cockroach on my towel Mm. when i got out of the shower that's hot i had like a yeah it was really gross i had a bit of a mental breakdown reasonably so and just like walked into the boss's office and i was like i my best friend lives in rome and he just got hit by a car so i have to leave right away i have to go to the hospital i packed my shit and i'm leaving right now and they were like oh my god, we're so sorry, like, let us know if you come back to Naples, but, like, I hope your friend is okay. I was like, yeah, thanks, bye, and I just lied to their faces. Um, (laughs) And got on a train to Rome. (laughs) I got on a train to Rome and just kind of, like, camped out on Aaron's couch for a couple days until I found a new hostel to work at in Florence. That was a lot better. Yeah, I remember getting off off of a bus. I don't even remember where I was coming back from, but I was like on a trip and I come back and I like get out of the cab coming back to my apartment and I see Matt just like wandering around like with his big backpack and I was like, "Ah, yes. Young yeah. Matthew." <laughs> I was like, "Hi, save mm-hmm. me. I've been quote unquote miserable." <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that's the time I got hit by a bus. <laughs> I'm so glad that you fully recovered from getting hit by that uh, that car. Honestly, we so can go blessed. with bus. Fine. <laughs> it was my experience, Matthew. <laughs> I know. I'm not going to tell you how to how to feel about this. <laughs> yeah, that was fun though. We did some wild, what had some wild times in Italy. Yes, we did. <laughs> Hi, James. Anyways, <laughs> um, maybe we should just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you guys really enjoyed that little snippet of this story, we talked about it on our friend's podcast that is coming out on Thursday. Oh my god! Did that really come up? At where we? Oh my god! You're right. It did. <laughs> we did talk about that in their podcast. It, it's called PSAs for P- PSA for PSAs. Um, it's like public, public service, service announcement. 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 
Anami for student athletes. Um, and so naturally, so I know, in us so talking about could, our student athlete, we cannot experience. stop interrupting each other. <laughs> the name of that podcast. <laughs> PSA for PSA's public service announcement for post student athletes. Yes. Yeah, so like in our in our interview about our uh student athlete experience, of course we talked about our time in Italy because we're so fucking annoying. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, it was a you really You could just end it there. Just period. <laughs> period. We're That's so it. Here's annoying. the interview. <laughs> um yeah. No, but it was a really fun interview and a lot of really interesting conversations. So if you want to check that out, it comes out this Thursday. We talked about coming out a little bit. We talked about being gay and being athletes and then kind of the whole process of becoming college athletes and then being on a team in college and being gay. Um, it was it was a really good time. They were, they were awesome. Yeah, Megan I'm excited. And Alex. I'm excited to listen to it. Yeah, we'll toss a link for that on... Um, on our Instagram once it comes out so that you guys can go check it out. Yeah, so go check out our Instagram. Wait, Aaron, are we on Instagram? Oh my god, wait. Do you have an Instagram? Because we have an Instagram. If you have an Instagram, you should follow us on Instagram. I think that's how that works. I think that we should start posting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which I'm just saying aloud, and you're going to be like, that's great, and I'm going to still be the one that's just making all the posts. But I think I know. I'm trying my best to, like, find pictures and quotes, but I always remember when it's, like, the day after it should have been posted, but I'm like, oh, fuck, I should have been. So should we get into this week's episode? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we should. Yeah. Who did we interview this week? So this week we were chatting <laughs> with Nico Correa. I think that's how you say his last name. Oh my god, is... he just liked one of my tweets. Right. Wow. Um, fun story about how Nico and I met. Yeah, wait, I don't even know this. We met on Tinder. <laughs> Are you kidding? We like matched on Tinder, but like never went on a date, never did anything. I think we just like chatted. It was the summer that I was living at UCLA and we were like, we should be friends. And like literally nothing ever came of it and then when i moved back here like a year ago um we like reconnected on twitter and i was like oh my god hi i moved here we should get drinks and we've just been like really good friends ever since i did not know that i just assumed he was like one of your like fantasy youtube friends that you just like pull out of the woodworks every once in a while i honestly don't even know if he remembers that but i'm i definitely remember like finding him on tinder when i was because it was when i was living at ucla and he was gonna be a senior i think yeah so you can have platonic friendships from tinder look at that guys yeah <laughs> wow craziness i mean i think we technically matched on tinder at one point probably but but i swipe right on all my friends when i see them on yeah. tinder so it's like if we're already friends like i'm gonna probably yeah. match with you as like a hey girl <laughs> yeah and if you if your friend doesn't match with you I don't know. Maybe you should reevaluate. Uh, bring that up with them, or put them on blast on social media. You should but put some jalapenos you do... in their drink or something, and be like, "Got you, bitch." <laughs> yeah, and if they have like a peanut allergy, maybe just like slip some peanut butter into their smoothie. That is like anaphylactic-y. shocking. <laughs> One of my roommates in college, who Aaron knows, obviously had a really severe peanut allergy. And I remember, like, the first or second day that we were all living in, that I was living in the house with him, I was like, okay, Russell, if something happens and you ingest peanut or peanut butter, what am I, please give me the rundown on what am I supposed to do? Where do I stab you with the EpiPen? What number should I call? He was like, 
911. <laughs> so glad that you learned that when you were four. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. And he was like, uh, I guess I should be thankful that you're saying this, but also you're like kind of freaking me out right now. Are you going to like kill Poison me? Try me. To kill me? Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I had a weird flashback of a story right now that a girl told me when I was like 15. This was a girl named Mara who I was like really good friends with at camp. And I think she like, I don't remember the story completely, but I think she said something mean to a girl at school one time or something, or they had like a conflict and the girl put like 600 laxatives like in her water or something. (laughs) And literally was like trying to kill her with laxatives when she was in like third grade. Oh my God. In the third grade. They were like really young. Maybe it was like sixth or something. Like I, I'm totally butchering this story, but I, I remember her being like, yeah, girl literally tried to kill me with laxatives when we were in like elementary (laughs) school. Like I did not grow up in the right area, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) My public school education did not teach me that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like my little sister when we were home for at some point together recently she was like hadn't pooped in like four days maybe you can cut this out i don't know too. she's but- gonna kill you if i put this in <laughs> should i do it yeah you probably should <laughs> and so I, I was like here take some fiber gummies and she was like okay 20 minutes later she's like i also took a laxative I was like, oh my and God. some smooth move tea <laughs> and this was like two hours after she had been she drank like 400 milliliters of water (laughs) just to like try to flush it out and she was incapacitated for the rest of the day i'll put it that way oh no (laughs) there was a lot of understandable whining oh my god (laughs) poor gal yes she is she is 21 (laughs) 25 okay anyway so nico (laughs) so today we're chatting with nico who is one of the funniest people i follow on twitter for sure absolutely i wish i was as fucking witty as him he did just like one of my original tweets which only ever come like maybe once every two weeks so i feel pretty good about it so i'm also like twitter famous at this point you know oh my god is that how it works anyway He's really fucking funny, so enjoy the episode. He's going to make you laugh. It's also, we talk about a lot of really important things, I think, in regards to, like, media and gay media. And, uh, yeah, I, like, I was listening back, editing it today, and I was like, oh, my God, I forgot we talked about that. And I forgot we talked about that. And it's all just, like, really great. So. Yeah. Not only is he funny, he's really smart. Yeah. Imagine that. I know. Can you believe? So, Nico did it pick an organization because he doesn't care about people Um, but (laughs) we should probably give people a warning actually going forward like guests of saying like hey whatever think of one but we always spring it on them at the last second of like oh by the way now that it's the end of the interview and we've talked for an hour do you have any organizations and people are like what (laughs) huh what so i guess i guess that's a good idea But I just want to shout out this really cool organization called Collage. I I partnered with them. Well, I didn't partner with them. But when I did an internship with another organization called Family Quality Council, they partnered with Collage. And it's an organ. It's called it stands for Children of Lesbians and Gays Everywhere. Um, It's an organization that unites they call Queer Spawn. They're kids of queer parents. Queer Um, Spawn. 
Yeah. I don't know if I like that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to. But right. anyway, they, they do, do good, a lot so of, that's what counts. Yeah. They do a lot of really cool work. Their Instagram has got a lot of really good stuff on it, too. It's called Collage National, C-O-L-A-G-E National. Um, a lot of cool graphics about a lot of different things. Um, so I would check them out. They are awesome. Yeah. The people that I've met who work there are really cool. Love that. Okay. Love you all. Okay. Bye, bye guys. See you in the episode. <laughs> Are you today? It's over a hundred degrees in Los Angeles. We are living, not loving though. Limited laughing. <laughs> Just some chuckles. A few. Nico, who are you? I am. I would describe myself as an aging twink in entertainment. Oh my! God. Nico, how old are you? I am 19 years old, turning 18 <laughs> next you, year. Are you kidding me? Are you actually? I'm 25. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> I totally believed you for a second. Uh, you are you are the epitome of youth, I would say. Yeah. In your bucket hat. Do you love it? This bucket hat moment that no say? one can see. What does it say? It says Bennington College, which Bennington. I did not attend. Which is where? Vermont. It's in Vermont. Vermont. I'm pretty sure it's like 800 oh, my friend kids. Went there. Yeah. Like Why do you have that? Um, it is a friend of a friend. I myself went to a 40 million thousand people school. You guys went to like also a tiny college, right? I would say it's mid-sized. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's tiny, but like, it was like 5,500 undergrad. I just, I know that Aaron says you were both on a swim team. I imagine just everyone being gay and like, it was just a huge orgy after every practice, but correct me if I am incorrect. Nope, you hit it. On the head. Yeah, uh, no, it was, it was pretty gay, but there was definitely not an orgy after every practice. <laughs> yeah, only on, fr- only on yeah. Fridays. Just uh, yeah. Fridays. Mm-hmm. Just Fridays, summer Fridays. Where did you go to school? I went to UCLA. I went to film school, which is a smaller program. Um, half the kids were gay. Uh, my boyfriend in the film program was the last, I was the last gay person for him to hook up with of everyone in the film program. So that was cool. Um, so the best one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really wow. into like, I was an acapella groupie, which I think is like the most embarrassing kind of groupie you can be in terms of like- Not groupie meaning like you were not in acapella. I wasn't in acapella, but I did, I did enjoy the boys of acapella. That is probably like the gayest form of groupie you can get. Like, I think that's gayer than being like an Ariana stan or a Britney stan. Gosh, what were the acapella groups at UCLA called? Okay, the, the like premier like, king of the king of the acapella groups was scatter tones they had like their aesthetic mm. very down it was like neon pink and black there's also b-harm yeah there's also b-harm and then um those were the only two that really mattered because those were the only ones with the cute boys 
Oh my god. <laughs> I love that. Did they sing you to sleep every night? Yeah, every night. A lullaby. Oh my god. Did you listen to their, oh. like, do they have, like, Spotify or Apple Music record- albums out? And yeah, they-, they would have, like, super intense, like, photo shoots and, like, put out an album, I think, like, biannually. <laughs> Did you, did you stream the album? Oh yeah, number one, top top one percent of streams. Oh my god, I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> so Nico, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? How do you identify? All that. Fun yeah. Stuff. So pronouns he him. I'm from Berkeley. I had Where's two moms at? growing up and a gay dad who I met later in life. Wait, T, talk about that. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Yeah, yeah. Two moms so, and a gay dad. Yeah, I need you to break very, it down for me. Very East Bay, like, Berkeley upbringing. Um, two moms who I thought would be, like, pretty easy to come out to, but... My, so my coming out, like, saga is, like... Starts in, like, 2011. The Song of the Summer is LMFAO's seminal party rock anthem. Um... <laughs> I had just gotten alcohol poisoning and been fired from a summer camp, which a month later would burn down in the kind of like hilariously titled uh, Rim Fire. It was like a huge fire in Yosemite and they called it the Rim Fire for some reason. Um, So I'm like driving back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm driving back, like the forest is burning, the Rim Fire is peaking. And I'm like, well, fuck, I've been fired. I, like, may as well just, like, feel worse and, like, come out to Rock my parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At first, I was, like, too nervous, though. So I was like, I need to tell you guys something. And then I kind of, like, choked. And I was like, so I want to, like, tell you guys that I want to start wearing backwards baseball caps. And they're like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? That's, what like, the- so fucking <laughs> stupid. That's not really a reveal. And then I was like, JK, actually, I want to tell you guys that I think that I like boys. And then their response, they didn't, like, reject it, but they are like, are you sure? And I was like, are you guys sure that you're gay? Like, why would you say that? So they had, like, <laughs> a... They had, like, a feel, why would you say that to me? <laughs> yeah, they had a weird reaction to it. So, yeah, we just didn't talk about it until, like, a year after that. Um, Whoa, that's super surprising. I feel like having gay parents is, like... I feel like their reaction would be the best. But did you actually start wearing backwards baseball caps? You know, I actually didn't. That never came to be. But yeah, I also think about that a lot, like why their response was not amazing. And I think that's probably because like there's so much rhetoric with like among more conservative circles that if you are a queer person, you're going to raise your children to be queer. So I wonder like, is there an element of like internalized homophobia that led to them not having the best response, which I think is possible, but I mean, at least they weren't like, fuck you, faggot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're probably just like, God damn it. Another gay. (laughs) So the next time we kind of talked about it was my prom night. Um, I'm ejected before I even get in for being out of my mind, just like shit faced. Just kind of like general alcoholism is a recurring theme in all these stories. But Why I, have I never seen you like super drunk? Well, I'm actually a year sober tomorrow. I don't drink anymore. So. Oh my god! Tomorrow. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. That's <laughs> Thank amazing. you. Yeah, it's my birthday tomorrow. Um, Happy birthday! Thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> 
So I'm kind of like put in the drunk take. They call my moms to pick me up at prom. They show up and then this rumor is kind of going around that I brought my moms to prom as like my dates, which is horrifying to me. It's not great. They take me back to my hotel room. It's so high school. They're like, dude, you're so fucking dumb. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm like really miserable. I kind of try to come out to them again and they're like, we'll deal with this later. Just like, can you please be sober and just like, don't drink. We'll let you stay here, but just like, don't be stupid. So they leave. And then I, of course, like start pounding peppermint schnapps, like again, (laughs) my prom date, Allie, who I love, shout out Allie comes back to our room and we start playing truth or dare during which i do have my first same gender kiss shout out isaac pena and (laughs) after that i was like yes this this is something i'm interested in this is for me and you're um are you 17 18 at this point yes so this was a year ago oh my god (laughs) shut up (laughs) um yeah this i was i think i was 17 Okay. But I didn't I didn't come out officially until like my first college party. It's a party for a mm. scholarship club, so you know there are like some horny little freaks there. Um Of course. Oh my god. I've just come <laughs> from so a school thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've just come from a school thing, so I still have like my backpack with me. Um and this guy Jake is looking at me and I'm like, "Okay, work. It's like finally going to happen." I'm going to have, like, my cute little gay romance. And then his friend walks up to me and probably says, like, the least romantic thing. He's like, my friend wants to fuck you. And I was like, great. Romance. This is everything I wanted. (laughs) So I, like, throw back a bunch of shots. We're headed back to the dorm we both happen to live at. He's like, "I, I can't fuck you in my room because my roommate's there and he's Christian. I think I think the larger problem w- was not that he was Christian, but more that he was there. But <laughs> <laughs> just that he was present. Yes. So we rent a study room at like two in the morning, which you can do at UCLA if you're in the dorms. Um, I proceed to be penetrated for a very painful two seconds, and then decide kind of not to proceed from there. And then we kind of pause, and he tells me I have to leave the study room before him so people actually think we were studying. Again, it is 2 a.m. on a Friday night, so I don't think anyone thought we were really studying. But I do leave, but I realized that I left my backpack that I had with me, like, the whole night in the study room. So, so I have to go back and, would, like, like... make it look like you were actually <laughs> studying. Yeah, I leave behind... So I have to go back and, like, knock on the door. We have, like, a very awkward interaction to retrieve it. And at this point, I'm just, like, so humiliated that I'm, like, I might as well just, like, officially be homosexual. <laughs> and that's how you became gay? Yeah. That's the that's the saga. The humiliation turned you gay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is quite the saga. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then it was your second day of college. <laughs> yeah, day two, baby. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's like today is day two, right? Yeah, this is yeah. actually this is my third day of college. Oh, so this was two days ago that this <laughs> so happened. So this was two, this days, was two ago. days ago. <laughs> oh my god. So has it has it gotten better since then? I think so. Um, I'm not like hooking up with like mean boys in like study rooms, so that is I I would mark that as a plus. 
Um, and I think I've just... Did you ever talk to that boy again? We did, yeah, briefly. But not, we didn't, like, really have, like, a full conversation. It was just, like, the shame of, like, leaving my backpack was, like, our main mm. interaction. Three years later, he's like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, good, I'm glad I got my backpack. Yeah, truly. <laughs> I haven't studied much recently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But my parents did like warm around to the idea, which like is very funny, and like it is very annoying because like their like romantic meeting like actually was very cute. They were like at a garage sale and both saw like the same watch, and like one <laughs> bought the other the watch because she was like she's cute, and then they started dating, and then got married. And then, like, my romance story is, like, getting fucked poorly in, like, a study room (laughs) at UCLA. That's the, like, the pinnacle of the difference between gay men and lesbian women. I Mm -hmm. don't know what is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. But we're chill now. My parents are supportive of my homosexuality. And then I did also recently meet my sperm donor, who is also gay, the first time I met him, which was before the quarantine, um, I was, like, worried that he was, like, we weren't going to have anything in common and, like, he was just going to be, like, I don't I don't even know, like, the interests of, like, what older straight men... I don't, like, Call of Duty or something or, like, finance, but... <laughs> Spreadsheet. I show up to his apartment with my sister in, like, the mission and he, like opens the door with his like bleach blonde husband Celso and they take me to like the leather bar that they met at so I was like this is perfect oh, <laughs> so he lives in San Francisco he does so. he is based in San Francisco wild yeah and he's he's definitely a party boy he is he's more promiscuous than I certainly oh, He's in his 50s. He's living his life. Well, maybe not right now, but he was certainly living his life before the quarantine. Good for him. Yeah, honestly. That's wild. Was that like a a weird conversation to have with your moms when you were like, I'm going to meet my sperm donor dad? Yeah, I mean, they were... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were supportive. I I could have done it when I was much younger, but my sister, who was also adopted, like, met her, like, biological family, and it didn't go that well. She, like, showed up, and they're mm-hmm. like, actually, like, you're part of our family again, so, like, you can, like, leave your, like, adopted family. So I was like, like, fuck, no. if that happens, like maybe I don't want to do this, but I I yeah. did decide to meet him, like, my last quarter of college, and he didn't try to, like, readopt me. So, again, net positive That's there. Good. Recently, so this girl, I guess she didn't know that she was adopted. Like, her parents just told her a year ago. She, like, accidentally found out, basically. And she had the same sperm donor as I. So she, like, did all this detective work and, like, figured out who our sperm donor was and then figured out who all, like, the sperm babies were, and then found us, and there's, like, fifth, like 10 to 15 of us. So we've also recently started, like, a group chat, and wow. I get to, like, see all Whoa. of them. Yeah, I'm the oldest still, so... Uh-huh. so I'm that, the alpha, the daddy. I'm going to end the Zoom call right now, I think. Um, <laughs> that actually reminds me of a story that one of my friends told me, like, literally yesterday about this, like this family she knows their like youngest 
well, this woman got divorced and wanted other kids, so she had a sperm donor, and it li they live in New York, and it turns out that the sperm donor that they, like, or that she got from is some, like, elite, high-end, big-time sperm donor that, like, is, like, the guy to get sperm from in New York, and he, all of his, he's got, like, 500 biological children all in New York, they have a convention or a conference I, every year so they can, like, get to know each other. Also, so they, like, don't procreate with each other. And, like... I was gonna say. And it's just, like, this... Like, <laughs> he's, like, totally anonymous, but he's, like... Or they, they have to sign, like, NDAs or something, like, when they find out who he is. And he's just, like... <laughs> it's like Anderson Cooper. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's crazy. I know that you can only, there are like laws in place that you can only donate like 10 times now, but perhaps that was like before that. Maybe it's but, because of him. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe him. But I would love my own convention. That sounds so fun. Yeah, but also like so self centered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, also me. All of my disciples, I mean, yeah. children. <laughs> I mean, his ego oh must my be goodness. like astronomical i don't know if you can, i don't know if that made sense but like it like that guy probably walks around is like there are 500 people kids in this city that are my genes like they are my children everybody wants my sperm like i'm the shit <laughs> that's so strange what a weird concept sorry what a concept <laughs> but um but no it was cool with your moms when you were like hey i'm gonna meet this dude yeah, they they were okay with it. I didn't want them to come just because, like, I didn't want another, like, embarrassing prom situation where they, like, <laughs> were too talkative and, like, trying the to... The things moms do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I took my sister, and that was a sweet moment. We went to, like, the leather bar in wherever we went, somewhere at the Castro, oh and God. they bought us, like, whiskey. Wow. Yeah, it was cute. And his job Cute. is to, like, interview, like, porn stars and drag queens. He's just, like, so much cooler than I am also. Wow. I think you're pretty cool. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So what do, you, what do you do nowadays that Aaron thinks you're really cool? Um, I don't really like know I said, about you. Yeah, like I said, I, I am a self-described aging twink in entertainment, so... Uh, I work on... That's how I would describe you, too. I work on television shows, two of which have not been released yet. Um, so one you can is, tell us about them. I can tell you, like, the logline. The first, they're pretty different. The first is a Jonas Brothers Christmas rom-com. And the others... Actually, get the, get the I didn't know out. you worked on that. I did, yeah. He, they aren't in it, but they're producing it. Oh. And then the other is, like, a very serious, like, spy drama with, like, Brie Larson that is, like, more oriented towards, like, adult people. And then I, a couple days ago, I also just started on a Hulu show called Dollface with Kat Denning and Brenda Song. I didn't know Kat Dennings was in it, too. She sure is. Very cool. So what do you yeah. do when you're working on these shows? My job mainly is to feed the people that are actually writing the television programs, feeding their minds. Oh, um, okay. like, so you're yeah. catering. <laughs> yeah, I cater. I cater their lunches, their brunches. Um, Master chef. And sometimes, 
they let me pitch ideas too, which is sweet. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. So what's your end goal? Like, what do you want to be at the end of the day? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, I want to be a television writer and I just want other twinks to be like aware of who I am, I, I think is my mm. secondary goal. <laughs> Ultimate daddy. Oh, yeah. Nico. <laughs> twunk daddy. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have my own twunk daddy convention once I've amassed enough. Oh my God. I'll be one. I'll be like one of your first fans. One of my converts. Yes. <laughs> Oh my! I like don't even know how to respond to any of this. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely gonna come to the so, convention. There's no doubt about that. But like, yeah, yeah, you're invited. We'll make t-shirts. I also know that you have a big online presence. Yeah, I am online on the internet. Um, you're a star. Thank you. Uh, I actually, so I'm not on any social media besides like MySpace and Twitter. Um, are you actually on MySpace no. still? <laughs> oh. does it, I don't think it still exists. It does exist, but it is primarily like a music site, is my understanding. It's like an archive. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the reason I got Twitter is because I had a, a boyfriend in college who was really into it. So when he broke up with me and broke my heart, I was kind of just like, I need to have a presence on this application. It was kind of just like a, a revenge join, I would say. Um, <laughs> that's pretty epic yeah and I wow. kind of have like two objectives when I'm crafting my tweets when I'm creating my art and one is kind of just to let people know like how how can I how can I let the internet know that I have daddy issues and put it out for a wide audience and then the second is just kind of like how do I post my content and then get it stolen by gay Instagram mean accounts and then not get paid for it. Okay, um, not bad, <laughs> not bad. And I will say, I will say though, it is gratifying to, I've gotten on Best of Grinder like one or two times and that is gratifying just because like, wow. I do I do feel that is the Twitter gay equivalent of winning an Oscar. Yeah. And it also means like, any past hookups do have to acknowledge my existence as they scroll past my jokes for like the three seconds it takes to scroll through a best of grinder like post do my moms know what best of grinder is no but my enemies most of them do so for everybody listening best of grinder is like a private meme account on instagram that pretty much caters towards gay men and it's it's pretty funny. I recommend following. Um, you might even catch Nico on there sometime, I guess. Yeah, though, yeah. like, one to two times I've been on Best of Grander. <laughs> <laughs> but they post daily, like, jokes that are stolen from other people. Yeah, that they just, like, steal off Twitter. Yeah. Get hundreds of thousands of wow. likes on. So, yeah. how did, did... When you joined Twitter, did you, like intend on amassing uh, I don't know how many followers do you have it's like pretty like reason it's like not I'm like a micro 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 in like person on Twitter it's like 15,000 I think okay so that's substantial that's, that's a lot of followers in my opinion thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, did you expect did you like want to have a following when you first joined 
No, I mean, my main thing is I just wanted to, like, post jokes to, like, work them for, like, scripts. And young gay people enjoyed them, so I kept doing them. And I, I think, like, Twitter, honestly, for me, is just a way to, like, connect with other queer people and try to, like, work jokes for scripts primarily. So do you hope to mostly write, like, gay scripts in the future? Because I feel like a lot of your tweets are very gay-centered. Yeah, a lot of them are definitely oriented towards that. Um, I think, like, I don't necessarily want to write gay scripts, but I do always want that to be an element of the scripts that I do write because... I think just writing all straight humor. people is, like, not a good use of my talents. <laughs> I agree. Your expertise. My expertise. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you ever, like, come across, like, gay writing? I feel like there's very little of it in, like, mainstream television and mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is getting, like slowly there i mean we have shows like love victor which i think the problem is like the writing is there and the scripts are there but the people that are like the on-screen talent are still largely heterosexual actors mm-hmm. or cisgender actors um Yikes. so i think yeah the stories are there but we just need like actual queer people to be playing them. so can we talk a little bit on why that's a problem that it's straight people playing gay characters yeah, I think, I mean, the main problem is, like, it's not their lived experience, so the story is just not going to be as accurate as as if, if like, queer people were playing them. Mm-hmm. So, but what would you say to someone who's like, well, this, is, this character's storyline is nobody's lived experience, like, even as a gay person, like, this wasn't their life, like, what, how would you respond to that? As in, like, this, they, they didn't live that life, so, like, why should a gay person get priority? It's just an acting role. Yeah. My my big first thing was like skins. If you guys watch that, yeah, and Maxie. I was big into Maxi, and then I was like really looking for like other like queer people to look up to. And when I like went to his Instagram, and he was just kind of like a straight himbo person, it was disappointing because like I was looking for like queer role models. And I think when like straight people are playing gay roles it becomes a problem just because like they're taking representation away from queer people and like queer icons for little kids to look up to. Yeah, I agree. That makes a lot of sense. Um, this is something that's kind of like always bothered me. That's why I was like, yes, let's get into this. I, I see the argument being a lot more straightforward and easy for like trans roles, for example, and like not having cis people play trans characters because I mean, I saw someone say one time, it's like, it it dehumanizes the reality of trans people and it makes it seem like it's a costume, for example. So, like, to me, that's a really easy argument of, like, why cis people shouldn't be playing trans characters. I feel like with gay roles, it's a little bit... It might take a little bit more of a nuanced argument. Um, I'm obviously, like, on your side. You know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, like, it seems to me that is maybe like in the current climate where there isn't as much homophobia as there used to be whereas like there is violent there's still like a lot of violence against trans people like maybe the like idea of having a straight person playing a gay character doesn't necessarily feed into homophobia the way that having a cis person playing a trans character feeds into transphobia 
So I, I feel like that might be where some people might not agree or like where it gets a little more complicated. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree that transphobia is like much more prevalent in American society. But I, I do think that is, it is still an issue that there are still so few gay roles played by gay yeah. actors. Mm-hmm. It's not, I think it is definitely less pressing, but it is still something to consider. And for everyone listening, a great documentary to check out on all of this, especially on um, the subject of like straight people playing trans roles, is Disclosure, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think another problem that I have with it is the difficulty that that queer actors have playing, getting casted, I shouldn't say playing straight roles, but being cast in straight roles because of the way that Hollywood is like, well, if, if you're gay, then you can't play a straight person accurately or whatever. Um, so it is just, again, taking away roles that should, like, could, could easily be filled by a queer person. Is that like, I mean, as someone who really doesn't know anything about Hollywood other than like what I hear from Aaron, like, does that like really happen that people who come out as gay, like are denied roles because they're gay? I mean, they'll never be told that it's because they're gay, but I think it's yeah I think it's just more of like a bias like of course if you come out like everyone will be like yeah of course you can play heterosexual roles but I think there is kind of like an implicit thing of like yeah you not being as considered for those roles just because you're known you're put in the the box mm-hmm. of being queer got it also like with with producers and agencies and stuff like of course when they're ch- selling this this role of the like teen heartthrob that they want little girls to be in love with like if in real life you're gay and you're openly gay then i think in their mind they're like oh well like they're not going to be selling the role as much outside of the actual movie Oh, from like yeah. a marketing point of view you know because it's like they're trying to sell the fantasy a little bit and like trying to make people think that they have a chance with these these actors i think and, and also for like more if you are making a blockbuster you do have to think on a on the scale of like the whole world so if you're looking at international markets queer actors like are not gonna if people know that an actor is openly queer they're not gonna get as much box office in countries where homophobia homophobia is more Mm -hmm. readily accepted. Mm -hmm. For example, like the, there's that little gay kiss in Beauty and the Beast. And it was, I think banned in China because of like the the three second interaction two characters have. I thought they didn't even kiss and it was just like alluded to the fact that he was gay. They ended up like hugging or something or like, a like stern handshake or something so silly and then they had to re-edit the scene and take it out you gotta be yeah, for well, it to get international clearance also matt can you talk about when you were watching love simon on fx please oh my god that's right yeah i was watching love simon and like in the in the like intro scene or whatever when he's like typing out his very first message to whoever blue i guess FX fully bleeped out him saying, I'm gay. <laughs> so what did it, it say? Just, they were, it was it just, just like, I'm bleeped. No, it just, it just, it just, it just said like, I have one big, huge ass secret. And then that was the end of it. Maybe That's that was awesome. for suspense. Yeah, right. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, you gotta be I fucking do think... kidding me. Like the, the whole point of the movie is that, he's like 
figuring himself out and coming out, or, well, sort of coming out. But you, he can't say, I'm gay. Yeah. It's just like, what the hell is going on? I, I do agree with your point that it is less, like, controversial to have films about and starring gay people in the current climate. But the kinds of blockbusters that are made, like Love, Simon, or what is this new one? Love, uh, Victor. Love, Victor. The, the kind of, like, queer characters that are centered are very cisgender and, like, white and conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is also and kind guess, of flat something to consider. and a little one-dimensional. T. <laughs> so that's why we need Nico to go in and fix the fucking writing. That's a lot of pressure for yeah. you, Nico. <laughs> you you can do it. I believe in you. And yeah, I mean, the shows need to be diverse, but I think the writers' rooms also need to be diverse. And a huge problem is like most writers' rooms like are still more than 50% straight white male. Mm-hmm. So the I think the only way the stories are going to change and become like more interesting than Love, Simon, which is a start, is if behind the scenes, the rooms where the stories are being written are also becoming like more multicultural and did you less... See, did you see, did the, I see what? the backlash with the writer's room around All Rise? I didn't... Right, I do remember I that. I didn't read the article. About, so can you tell me what's So All makes? Rise is a CBS TV show that centers on a black female judge in, like... It's, like, a courtroom drama, but, like, the lead of the show is, like, a black woman. And the writer's room is now coming under fire, basically, because it's being written by a bunch of white men. Just to clarify, it's the, the showrunner of the show... Um, who's coming under fire. Yeah, if you want to read more about it, check out the New York Times article. Um, people are like, you know literally nothing about the lived experiences being a black woman in America. So now there's like a little bit of backlash going on where they're like, hey, <laughs> t- t- can you bring in some some other people? <laughs> <laughs> to my understanding, anyway. I haven't really done apt research on it, but that is what I understand is going on. Yeah, that's that's pretty shitty. What was the first movie that you guys watched that had, like, a queer character in it? Rent. I was obsessed with Rent in, like, 8th grade, maybe? 7th or 8th grade? Oh my god, I loved it so much. That's interesting. I was obsessed with Rent when I was younger, I think in, like, 4th grade, because I loved the music, and I remember watching it and literally having no idea what was going on. (laughs) <laughs> I just loved the songs. Yeah, I I'm, I mean, I like I remember watching Rent and seeing like there were like two like white blonde guys, but they were both straight. And so it was I remember like seeing that and being like, "Oh my gosh, like they look like me." And then like the other characters around them were queer, and I like knew that I was gay at that point. So it was really interesting and like cool and I remember like enjoying it and like not obviously like having the like level of understanding being like oh wow this is like great representation for like black and latinx people like queer people on screen but being like oh wow like there's like a a latinx trans person and like a a queer guy and like two lesbians or like an interracial couple i was like they're look at all this queerness like that's cool gotta rewatch that i haven't seen that yeah. in so long 
But I just remember seeing it, and, and every time I'd watch it, it just was, like, queer energy was just, like, resonate out of the screen. Um, and I was just like, yes. Give give me this. I need this. <laughs> oh yeah. Nico, what was the first movie you remember? I My very first movie that I saw in theaters was with my mom's when I was, like, four, which was The Little Mermaid. And I do feel like this is so documented, but all the Disney villains are so queer-coded. Mm. There's Ursula, of course, and then there's Scar, who mm. I had a crush on. And then there was not a Disney villain, but a bisexual king, Li Shang from Mulan. Probably my first crush on any Bisexual king, you think? Yeah, totally. Mulan was, like, presenting as male, and Li Shang was definitely crushing. <gasps> and then Mulan... Like did her gender reveal as female, and then Li Shang again was still crushing. So I think it's fair to consider him a bisexual king. I love that argument. I've, I've never thought about I've that. I've never heard that or thought of that either. I love it. He's hot. He was yeah, hot. Yeah, he's stupid hot. Is he your <laughs> is he your number one prince? <laughs> yeah, death, death. Mm. The only bisexual prince in all the Disney kingdom. Probably the only bisexual individual in the whole but in the whole Disney kingdom. <laughs> I don't know. I always had a thing for Who Prince else? Eric, but there was Shark Boy. Would you of Shark Boy okay, and Lava so... Girl. <laughs> not animated but So he was like ten. Or Disney. <laughs> yeah, that was a big one. Danny Phantom. Mm. Billy Loomis. Who? Scream. The movie. Oh, yeah. I never saw it. Billy Loomis with like this swoopy hair. Oh my goodness. Wow. Would you say that Mulan is the best Disney movie? Are we considering, like, the Pixar movies part of the Disney universe or just, like, an offshoot that they own? Sure. I would say definitely not then. The Incredibles or Ratatouille is the best I Disney love Ratatouille yeah, so much. Great choices. Do you think yeah. it's the best Disney movie? Or Disney princess, I guess. I think, like, the characters in Mulan are certainly my favorite but i think the best story is probably the little mermaid because i mean if ursula had won maybe it would actually be the best <laughs> i think that is more interesting she's just a more interesting character than ariel like i was rooting for her well ariel also doesn't she have a voice was based on the movie. drag queen divine i think they should just release a cut where ursula gets to live her like divine drag queen fantasy and like take over the scene that would be pretty sweet i mean it would definitely suck because yeah. she was like objectively like, evil but but like what did she do that was so but was she just misunderstood matthew she just wanted I a mean, beautiful I don't voice know. she turned like all of those mer people into like little creatures that couldn't do anything or move or go anywhere and just okay be, but like, okay in her cave. king trident's society was like oppressive and patriarchal so actually i didn't say that he was better <laughs> So I think it, she was right to turn them into <laughs> tiny little sea creatures. And she was also she was also just smart. Like, she's a good lawyer. She, like, she got Ariel to sign a contract that she didn't read. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would chalk that up to be a good lawyer. A good salesman. She's devious. She's definitely lucrative. <laughs> Manipulative. <laughs> oh, my God. She had to get all the fine print right. Wow. I think that Ursula would be an excellent lawyer. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to definitely say she being the only one enforcing that contract definitely helped her case a little bit. But 
Um, what do I know? I'm not actually a lawyer. So. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the idea of, like, queer coding villains is something that I've, like, I've seen a bunch, but I've never really heard. If, if you were to, like, tell me or explain to me what that is and what that means as if i had no idea because i almost have no idea yeah i, I learned think about this in a child development class too nico could you just like explain what queer coding is yeah my like limited understanding is that queer coding is like when you give like traditionally like queer or, like feminine characteristics to villains and like without saying that they're actually gay like Mm -hmm. imply imply that they are and like make them feminine and equate femininity and queerness with like evil Mm -hmm. it's a lot of the times like i I learned about it in a child development class and you know like the the villains always have like they're brightly colored and they're like kind of flamboyant prime examples are like the power of girls like mojo jojo is like super colorful and like small and and I mean, yeah, him was where like I was going next with the queer boots and icon. The, yeah, and then like in Disney, once they're colorful and flamboyant, and but also evil, so it mm-hmm. kind of like makes kids, like when kids watch it, they're like, oh, Ursula's evil, and also these things that she's yeah. doing are associated with evil now. I mean, Scar is definitely like a a bitter, aged twink totally let's be honest so nico there's your future (laughs) yes that's my present (laughs) (laughs) so that that like makes sense i mean it's it's kind of like indoctrinating homophobia children into homophobia and transphobia from like a very young age and queerphobia i do think though that that is why at least i am but i think a lot of people are interested in the genre of horror films and I think a reason that is is because, like, that's the only representation there was for queer people for a long time is as the villain and as the, the kind of, like, shadowy character in the periphery. Um, that's so interesting. Wait, keep talking about that because I've never really heard that idea. So, for example, like, I think the reason that people like the Babadook so much a couple of years ago and there's, like, <laughs> there's, there's this whole campaign to like ship the Duke with like Pennywise or whatever, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the reason that is, is because people, th- so the Duke is like living in this like small Australian suburb and he's like kind of marginalized into like the darkness and like living his life in the basement of this single woman's life and kind of like a queer kinship structure. And he does, like, very dramatic things for, like, no other reason than to, like, elicit a a reaction. Like, he creates a pop-up book kind of just for the drama of it all of, like, himself. And he, like, pictures of himself, like, pop out. And, like, he's just kind of scaring people and, like, eliciting an interaction. (laughs) Because he can. Bitch is what I'm hearing. Yeah. (laughs) And I, but like he makes his presence known, even though people don't want him to express who he is, who like he's a, a spooky little ghost bitch. But I think a lot of queer people can <laughs> resonate with that because I the put that larger on society, probably. like also, spooky little ghost bitch. <laughs> doesn't like 
validate most queer identities. I think the most validated, obviously, is like cisgender white male, but even even that is like only kind of recent mainstream acceptance because like Prop 8 was within like the last decade and a half. There is so much mainstream acceptance if you are like a love Simon kind of twink, but it is like still a very recent development. What's Prop 8? You're the lawyer. What was Prop 8, Matt? I know. (laughs) (laughs) A California ballot proposition and a state constitutional amendment passed in November 2008. The proposition was created by opponents of same-sex marriage in advance of the Supreme Court's May 2008 appeal ruling. So basically there was like a limited period where like same-sex couples could get married in California during which my moms got married. And then there was this proposition on the ballot that if people voted yes on Prop 8, it would again be illegal in California to have same-sex marriage and it passed I think seven million people voted yes it was it was crazy and that was 2008 so Mm. wow that's pretty recent that's pretty crazy fucking Orange County (laughs) and so did Prop 8 stay did it remain good law until 2015 when um we got same-sex marriage nationwide it was kind of no, like no, debated was, whether or not it was legal, but I think it did it, stay law until... In 2010, it was ruled unconstitutional by a federal court. <laughs> Although the court decision did not go into effect until June 26, 2013, following the conclusion of yeah. opponents' appeals. So it was declared unconstitutional, I guess, but it wasn't until the larger decision that it was completely overruled. It is still the case, actually, in a lot of states that they do have language in like it is codified that marriage is between a man and a woman in a lot of states they just like can't enforce that so like god forbid um you know we get trump gets to appoint um, any new supreme court justices and they are to hear uh anything related to gay marriage um the likelihood is well i don't want to say that but it's it's a very real possibility that they could like roll back same-sex marriage um, and in that case, the states that do, like, already have it codified that it's, like, legal there, like, it'll stay, obviously. But Georgia, and for example, like, Virginia, for example, like, just took it out of their state, um, con- I don't know if it was constitution or their state statutes that, it, you know, marriage is restricted for a man and a woman. So, like, it is very much still a thing that, you know, we've, we've made a lot of progress in certain realms, but it's, it's, it, none of it is permanent. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it like that. None of it is, like, untouchable. Right. Gotta love it. Yeah. And so it's pretty obvious that that has, in your opinion, that like, that kind of mentality is kind of what we're seeing on the screen or, like, the, that, you know, we're, we're making little bits of progress and, you know, like, um, like, cisgender white males are, you know, readily accepted and that's, like, the little bit of progress we've made, but it, it's like it's a not enough just like same-sex marriage is not enough but it's like not untouchable like it can be undone pretty quickly you think i think there's a real very like a possibility that it could happen i i think like a fallacy is that we are moving in the direction of like general like social justice good like i think it's not true that just because same-sex marriage was legalized that it can't be undone, especially like with an administration that 
is increasingly pretty fascism centric. I don't think it is like a hard and fast rule that it's always going to be the case that same sex marriage is legal now. Well, I mean, I hope that it, I hope that it is the case. Um, but like, you know, the more I'm thinking about, it, I guess it's not really like the best comparison to say like, you know, projection of codified gay rights and like screen representation. <laughs> but I mean, I, there are some parallels, I guess. But you you were saying that you think there is pretty good acceptance, like or like early stages of like representation going on, but that it's like pretty reserved for like certain classes of people. Yeah, I think that is the case. Are there things that you haven't mentioned yet that you think can kind of change that? Slash, like, why do you think we need to change that? I think the things that can change it is, like, not just looking at, like, who is represented on screen, but who is represented behind the scenes, because the writers' rooms are still very cisgendered and very white and very straight, Mm -hmm. And the directors mm. are still very white and very cis and very straight. So you can't just look at the actors and the big stars. You also have to look at the whole picture. Is it is the yeah. same true for, like, more than just, like, the writer's room and the producer's room? Is it, like, you know, costume, makeup? Like, is are those areas? And, I, I mean, I, I don't know, like, what other stuff goes into, like, making film. But, like, are those also in need of diversification? I think it's across the board. And I think like there are like diversification efforts, but a problem is that like the, the, the problem is that the people that are diverse that are getting in are usually in like, at least for writing, like the entry level positions, the lowest being staff writer and very few diverse people move beyond staff writer into higher level writing positions, the highest of which is showrunner, I think, which is over like 60% straight white male. So the reason that we aren't seeing, I think, more diverse shows is because, yes, there is a a push for like more diverse writers, but they're being stuck at the bottom rungs of like just staff writer. And the real Mm. change is when you become a showrunner and can make your own show. Absolutely. Also, there are just so many like institutionalized societal factors that come into play in the entertainment realm that it's like even when these opportunities are being presented to people, it's so hard to make it work in a lot of ways because it's like Hollywood is just not very conducive with with like actually affording people opportunities unless you already have a lot of legs up in life because not only is it about who you know and how you and how you get in but like once you get in it's like you're not paid very much for a long time so you're not really like it's really hard to afford to live yeah. and work in this industry when you're not making very much money if you don't already come from money basically yeah so even when these opportunities are like yeah, like we'll we'll totally like hire people and like give people a chance. It's like okay, well now you also need to like actually invest in them because yeah, I mean you yeah, essentially really... need to work entry level positions to get into a writer's room. So entry level positions pay minimum wage. So obviously not everyone could afford that even Los Angeles, especially in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. So. Mm-hmm. 
the types of people that even can have those jobs is limited to a certain class of people, I would say. Yeah. Definitely. That's super shitty. Yeah. It doesn't really, like, surprise me, though, because it's kind of how a lot of the, the like, industries in this country work. I mean, it, uh, the yeah. law school, I mean, even just, like, the application process and, like, trying to go to, like, any professional school it's like it's so expensive to like take the lsat and to apply to schools like the mcat is even more expensive to go to like med school all that stuff so it's just like it's how many institutionalized hurdles can we have in place just so that like under the guise of like it's you know it's to make the best field possible when in reality it's just to keep people out yeah well and even the step before that it's like it's so expensive you like to get into undergraduate too before you even mm. get into like law school you know you have to pay to be tutored for the sat so that you can do well on a test that you have to pay to take so that you can pay to apply to colleges so that you can pay to get an education and then you're told if you don't have like a top tier education like i don't you you're not I, so it's just a it's a mess <laughs> how much does yeah. the it's LSAT a mess. cost like 300 jesus i, I don't remember that's it's so definitely... crazy yeah, that was a guess i have it, no idea yeah it's it's definitely a few hundred and the thing about it is too like it's really hard to it's not one of those tests that you can just like like study for for a little bit and then take like it it really is like you have to learn how to take the test so you essentially like almost need to like take a class just to learn how to take the test and those classes yeah and those classes are going to be like over a thousand dollars probably Work. and like <laughs> It's, it's, it's like, remarkable, the, like, difference. Like, if you take the LSAT and then, like, without having taken, like, a, a prep class and then take a prep class, like, your score just, like, general... I think the general trend is that it's just, like, so much higher than it would be. Yeah. So it's just, like, it's just so... And, and the worst part is that the LSAT almost has no indication on, like, how you're going to actually perform in law school and as a lawyer because everything I've learned, I learned for the LSAT, has never come into play in law school. Nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You didn't have to do those those reasoning games yeah, in, college, in law logic school. Games? No, I really yeah. fucking I really liked those, so I'm bummed. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yeah. I mean, what's some like what what kind of like queer things have been helping you get through quarantine and the pandemic? Let's see. Um, Survivor, which has much more of a queer following than I was at first led to believe. Have you guys watched it? I have not, but not I do know a lot of gays who love it. Yeah, Parvati is like the most respected. She won season 20 of Heroes vs. Villains. Or sorry, she was runner-up, but won in my heart. And then she did win season 16 Micronesia. So we've been watching a lot of that. Selling Sunset, of course, which is actually like a pretty grotesque show. It's about selling like multi-million dollar mansions in Los Angeles. When there is like a massive like unemployment gap and like homelessness crisis it is like in many ways like a very grotesque show but also entertaining i gotta say (laughs) oh god good tv yeah good bad tv they have they have a party where they are Mm -hmm. injecting people with botox and like showing houses so in terms of like reality versus like fiction shows or scripted shows well, I should say fiction because reality is often scripted, but... Absolutely. And there are all these things coming out now about how Selling Sunset's, like, not even... Yeah, they're definitely reality. very like, A lot of it's just done for TV. 
do you think that there's a lot more like queer representation and like reality shows and like what do you think that that does for like queer people because I feel like reality shows are very often not painted in the best light or people taken particularly seriously yeah I think like the history of reality television is pretty interesting when it was like the 1980s uh, there was this guy, Pedro Zamora, who was on the second season of The Real World, and he was, like, one of the first people, I think the first person on television to openly be living with HIV. And the, I think the day after the finale of The Real World Season 2 aired, he died of AIDS. So I, oh through God. reality mm-hmm. television, he was able to educate a lot of people who were obviously very uneducated, uneducated about the AIDS crisis. So I I do think reality television has been a means, especially in the beginning, to educate people on queer-related topics. As it has evolved, I think it has become more scripted and pretty close to, like, actual just, like, cable half-hour type of shows. But I think in the beginning, reality television was pretty revolutionary in terms of, like, the types of people Mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like what we call reality television right now is like very few people's actual reality yeah so i can i could see how like when it was first being a thing and like i feel like the real world when it first got started it showed like obviously those they like you know brought people on to like get good ratings and be exciting but i think it was less about that and more like real people yeah um so it I could definitely see how it, like, had that effect, or it would have, like, a really amazing effect at the beginning in terms of, like, opening people up to queer identities and, like, the realities of things that we live with, but I wonder how much of that is, like, either undone or just doesn't happen anymore with, you know, shows like like Bravo, for example. Like, I I don't think there's a single person on any of those television shows who's, like, representative of, like, any other person in the world. Like, they're just, like, so outlandish and ridiculous that they, like, don't really paint a good picture. And then if you, like, have queer people who are fitting into that, like, outlandish lifestyle and behavior, like, it, it, to me, it seems like a recipe for not taking us seriously, especially if that's your only exposure to us as queer people. I guess I can't really speak to Real Housewives because I'm not gay in, like, that specific way. But um, (laughs) I do think, like, an interesting case study is Drag Race and how that has evolved since its evolution. Um, We're now on, like, season... They're filming season 13 in quarantine, which is crazy. Um, Wow. Yeah. But it is interesting, like, how big that show has gotten since its roots with its, like, Vaseline filter on season one. And, like... (laughs) On Logo. On Logo, yeah. And, like, on one hand, I think it is cool that it has become this global phenomenon and, like, is highlighting queer people. But on the other hand, it has kind of, like commercialized and like turned queerness into a product which which is like an interesting like discussion I guess to have and Drag Race does still have its issues like it it has like so few trans contestants and non-binary contestants and RuPaul at one point said like he didn't think trans contestants should be on the show because it was like an unfair advantage so RuPaul is like definitely old school and um Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> chilling on his <laughs> fracking rig. Yeah. Oh, not no, no, not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you guys think about Drag Race? Um, I mean, I I really enjoy it. I'm very entertained by it, and I I think it I think it does have the ability to you know put new or it definitely has the ability to educate and for people to see themselves on television i think it i think we very rarely get to see like incredibly femme gay men on television so i think like for those audiences it can be really affirming um especially you know when they are shown there is like i would say between the contestants there is like a consistent amount of support and like affirmation of like just them as people obviously you know it is a reality show so there's drama and fights whatever but like as human beings i think they do an okay job of like affirming that everyone is like you know accepted and loved for like based on their identity but it's not perfect (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination but it's entertaining i feel like my opinion on the show changed a bit when I stopped watching it as just like a, an entertainment value and then like started watching it through a critical like television production lens a little bit, um, which is inevitable, I guess. But just also like, I think when I started listening to Race Chaser, the, the Willow and Alaska podcast, where they kind of like dissected a little bit from their point of view, talking about how they imagine things are being produced based off of their experiences from when they were on the show. It kind of like, I love it because it, it, it was so, it, like, I find it fascinating to watch it from a production point of view, but I think it also just kind of lost a lot of the magic for me where I was like, oh, this all kind of is like a little too, a little too produced. Yeah, I would agree. A I lot think, of the time. Yeah, I think, especially in re- recent seasons, and I think, you know, I am no drag expert i'm no drag race expert i don't claim to be one but just from as like a viewer i have definitely noticed and gotten the impression that it seems like people are coming on the show less to win and to compete and more so to mm-hmm. like create make a, tv yeah make tv or like create a brand for when they're done with the show right. yeah it's Which, turning a little bit into like the bachelorette yeah. And all, like, did you feel like, did you feel a difference? Because I don't know if it was quarantine or if it was like the production of the show, but I feel like with 12 and, and all stars five, I was like so much less invested. Like I was like, yeah, yeah. I don't, like I didn't even watch. I wouldn't, I wasn't even watching all stars five when it was airing. Like I would like watch it a few days later. Like I was like, yeah. mm, I liked all stars five a lot more than 13, 13. I really felt like 12. people were doing things 12. Sorry. You're right. People were like really like doing things just to like try to get like go, do the rounds on the on Twitter and Instagram afterwards. Mm. There's also like an option show. Watch? There's like a Vegas review show, and it's yeah. it's like a structured as kind of like Real Housewives but with like popular drag race queens, which is cool. I mean, like I haven't watched it, but so I have to. Ask, did you guys? Did either of you watch Canada? Of course. No. Do you feel, could you, like, feel a difference between the Canada show and the, like, and the U.S. show? I felt like there was, like, so much more, like, just love and excitement and, like, genuine, genuity, I guess, in the in the Canada season. Yeah, I guess, like, it was the first season, so people are going to be less jaded. And people were just, like, excited to be there. 
I know, like, there was a whole backlash because people didn't love the judges or whatever. And uh, what's yeah. his name? JBC got Jeffrey Boyer left Chapman. Twitter because people were being terrible. But yeah, I thought did he leave he, Twitter? He did exit. Yeah. Wow. Oh, no. Um, and that's the whole thing too, like drag race queens leaving social media because crazy like thirteen year olds are like sociopaths and like bullying them. Oh God. <laughs> True. Yeah, I do feel like that also. There's a lot of like hate in the online communities with drag race. But I feel like there's always I always see queens being like don't attack other other queens because I like on my behalf, especially with like Valentina's following, like I feel like they're all like ravaged hungry little predators that like just love to get angry at everyone else online. Yeah. I don't know. I think the show itself has done a good job of, like, maybe of just, like, (laughs) I kind of hate to say this, but, like, forcing kind of, like, queer identities into the mainstream a bit, which I think, you know, you can never be, the importance of that can never really be underplayed, but maybe what it's doing now that it's gotten there and how it's manifesting isn't actually super good for the fact that there is still tons of homophobia and transphobia in this country and Mm -hmm. in the world. But I'm sure there's someone who's a lot smarter than me that has written and talked about this extensively. (laughs) I still think it's an important television show to have, but obviously people can still critique it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think think you make a really good point. And I know Aaron has said this before with like queer media and that like it, especially right now it's it's important to it's just important that it's there and that we have it even if it's not perfect it's a start and everything Mm -hmm. has to start somewhere and we can always like want better for ourselves and fight better for you know underrepresented communities but at least worse we've we've got a starting block Thank you for having me on. Rock on. Oh, yeah, Nico. Okay, goodbye. I thought that was the end of my interview. <laughs> yep, we just cut it right there. Yeah. It's, a, it's the end. Yeah. yeah. And goodbye. Bye. Um, so, Nico, do you have any advice for your young, any like parting words of wisdom for anyone listening, whether it be like young queer kids or like kids who want to work in the entertainment realm or anything? Yeah, I would just kids say who wanna, like be funny on Twitter in terms of like writing like you should never be afraid to write queer stories because you don't think there is an audience for that i think we are seeing more and more of queer people and stories on television so you're probably not going to be able to write a good straight character anyway so like why even have a (laughs) straight protagonist i don't know just write what you love and just write queer shit because people are interested in that hell yeah true love it i do love it and i want to and i want to hear the queer shit and i want to see the queer shit so please yeah just look at the look at the fan fictions that all came up do you remember when people were like writing fan fictions about like harry and draco being together oh yeah i was a part not of that fanfic community but avatar certainly i wrote some fanfic really yeah totally who were that who was 
canoodling in your fanfic. Who are the gay characters? Zuko, obviously. And then there's this character, Jet, who is in only a couple of episodes, but he kind of like whisks Katara off of her feet. He ends up being kind of like a criminal, like low-key like terrorist type of figure, but he's hot for sure. So that was my fanfic. He's got some pent up wow. ra- like queer rage inside yeah, of him. Yeah, definitely. Nika, what is the gayest thing you've done this week? The gayest thing that I've done this week is is probably not being prepared when you answer when you ask me uh, what queer coding is. Just being um, unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> A lack of preparation. Yeah. <laughs> I thought oh, you yeah, explained actually. it well. Aaron, Probably not thank you, perfect, yeah. Yeah. but it was good. <laughs> um, Aaron, what's the gayest thing you've done this week? Oh, I, I got... I know the gayest thing I did this week. I got tested for um, HIV and STIs and STDs because it was that it had been a few months, so I got my sexual health checkup. So, yay for being informed on your sexual health. Good. <laughs> Matt, what's the gayest thing you did this week? Oh, the gayest thing I did this week? I was watching a soccer game earlier today, and I was just, like, objectifying the players. Nice. Because they're hot. Yeah, Yeah. watching soccer because the guys are hot. Cool. Uh, Nico, for everyone listening, where can the people of the internet find you? You can find me on MySpace at NotNico, and also on Twitter at NotNico. But it's N1CO, right? Yeah. Or is it N0T? It's a one. N1CO. And we are at Queering the AirPod. Give us a follow. And thank you, Nico. Thanks for chatting with us. You are so funny. Thanks for having me. (laughs) This is a blast.